When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Not only am I making puzzles for a puzzler, for a customer who has these set out in front of them trying to figure it out, but it's also a puzzle for me as well, trying to figure out how to make it so that it works. Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, June Thomas. And I'm your other host, Karen Hahn. Karen, it's so nice to see you again and to be talking about one of your interviews. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good. It's kind of cooling down in Mm -hmm. Brooklyn, which I am very grateful for. And this is my last week in town, so uh, that's good. I can't believe it. I know, I know. I'm trying to have one last uh, meal at all of my favorite restaurants and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. And whose voice did we hear at the top of the show? That was Lennon Aximid, the puzzle designer for Liberty Puzzles. Puzzles like in jigsaw puzzles? Yes, indeed. Well, I'm guessing that if you wanted to speak to him, there's something special about these puzzles. Tell me more about Lennon's work. Yeah, so I'm obsessed with Liberty Puzzles, (laughs) and there's a few things that make their work really special, in my opinion. The first thing is that they're woodcut puzzles, so all the pieces are like pretty thick and have a really nice heft. And Mm. the second thing is that the puzzle piece shapes are really, really unique. They're not like the typical like square with little round bits either right. off of them or on them that we're used to. Instead, the pieces can take the forms of like trees, animals, snowflakes, squiggly lines, just anything. And they're really art in it of themselves besides the art that's on the actual puzzle. And I did have a quick look on their website and I saw that they also kind of, the pieces also sometimes like have their own their own thing going on almost. Yeah, it's really, really remarkable. Like some of the puzzles have almost like what I think you would call like Easter eggs. Like Mm. one of the puzzles that I own from Liberty Puzzles, you can take the pieces in that puzzle and then turn them into a little 3D dinosaur. Like you can make a different like mini puzzle. Get out of town, that's crazy. (laughs) And I'm guessing that you also asked Lennon some questions that are intended exclusively for Slate Plus members. What will they hear? Yeah, so in our conversation, Lennon notes that he sort of fell into puzzle designing. So for the Slate Plus segment, we talk about how he finds time for and balances his personal projects and art with the art that he does for Liberty Puzzles. That is obviously going to be fascinating. So if for some unfathomable reason you aren't yet a member of Slate Plus, why don't you sign up today? You will get extra segments on shows like Working, Culture Gabfest, The Waves. Some shows like Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood have extra episodes just for members. And you will never hit a paywall on the Slate site. If you would like to learn more about joining Slate Plus, just go to slate.com slash working plus. All right, now let's listen in on Karen's conversation with Linen Aksumit.
Lennon, thank you so much for coming on The Working Podcast. I'm so excited to talk with you. I'm delighted to be here. I'm a huge fan of Liberty Puzzles and the work that you do. Um, So I wanted to start off, I guess, kind of pretty broadly. Uh, One of the things that I love about Liberty Puzzles is the beautiful pieces of artwork that you guys use um, with each of the puzzles. And I'm curious, where does a puzzle begin? How do you choose what pieces of art can or will become a puzzle? We have a sort of a committee that is always looking around for new artwork, just Mm -hmm. kind of scouring the web, looking through books, calendars, kind of wherever we can. Mm -hmm. And we also have customers that will send us emails Mm -hmm. with uh, their own work or with work from people that they know, uh, artists that they know. Yeah. So we're constantly getting a steady stream, it seems like. And then with the committee, we all kind of decide you know, based on just kind of parameters of what we think will make a good puzzle in terms of visually, Mm -hmm. patterns, themes. We basically make our decisions kind of from there. And as a designer and as one of the people kind of looking for the perfect piece, is there one thing above all else that you personally sort of love to consider or find most important? We kind of look at ourselves sort of as curators. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that we ask ourselves is, what does this image say? Mm -hmm. And then how do we want to develop this? How do we want to add to what is already going on with the artwork, what the artist is trying to say? Mm -hmm. Usually then I will be the one who will take the image and then start brainstorming ideas as to how to make this a puzzle that people are going to want to figure out. Mm -hmm. And sometimes really great artwork, artwork that classically fits into a realm of popular or is historically considered a masterpiece Mm -hmm. might not always make the best puzzle. Mm -hmm. It might not be something that everyone would want to put together (laughs) if there's a lot of dark colors or subject matter that maybe gets a little too dark it's a little risky and that's not to say we don't go down that road Mm -hmm. but sometimes it sways the decision making if that makes sense yeah absolutely so from there i think about what the image again is is saying what it's communicating mm-hmm. doing uh, a little bit of research into who the artist is mm-hmm. what they were trying to say if there's any kind of information on that and then i'm a huge fan of writing lists so i just start writing everything down that comes into my head and then i start drawing i just go directly to my sketchbook and I start sketching out whatever ideas are coming into my head. And I, I read on the website, and you touched on this a little bit as well, that you, the design process sort of starts as you hand draw. Um, and it sounds like you sort of start with maybe piece ideas or kind of more specific smaller images rather than necessarily like having the outline of whatever art piece you're looking at and then trying to fill it in from there. Is that right? 
exactly. I, I'll take a theme, say it's a Colorado-themed puzzle. Mm-hmm. First, I'll be thinking of all the obvious stuff. But then I might be thinking of whimsy characters that I want to expand upon, mm-hmm. perhaps. So I guess to kind of back things up a little bit, a whimsy piece mm-hmm. is a term that we didn't we didn't create that term. Oh wow. Yeah, so it was a term to describe the whimsical nature of the silhouette pieces originally cut by hand cutters in the early 1900s, 1930s there was there was sort of a a jigsaw puzzle boom during that mm-hmm. time. And that was the inspiration to do what we do. Mm-hmm. And we've carried on the term whimsy to describe all these little special shapes cut mm-hmm. out of quarter-inch plywood that you put together. And it's not a puzzle that only contains the whimsies. There's right. a bunch of other pieces interconnecting them as well. And so kind of with that idea, somewhere along the line, I started trying to make more complex scenarios between those specific pieces, the whimsy pieces, so that, say, a cowboy on a horse, for instance, Mm -hmm. would be several pieces coming together to make a scene yeah. Maybe it's running, maybe it's bucking in the air and kind of focusing on expressions as much as I can in a tiny silhouette. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been the fun mm-hmm. in creating something like this. It's using the puzzle as a medium Yeah. to communicate whatever I can, you know, anything that's, that is possible to communicate with just some puzzle pieces. So as the puzzler is putting them together, it sort of becomes like a conversation between the design Mm -hmm. and the person interacting with it. Mm -hmm. And then also the other dimension being the image. Sort of on that note, So you mentioned, like, again, in the process of finding artwork, like being able to look at a piece of art and then thinking about how you can add to it or I guess sort of be in conversation with it, um, which I think on the surface sounds pretty abstract. So I'm wondering if you could tell us maybe a little bit more in detail about that process, whether it's kind of knowing what shapes would complement it or, yeah, I have no other examples because I have no idea how it works. So it could be as simple as... I have an image that is by, say, a Brazilian artist, and it looks like a little hamlet Mm -hmm. with sort of a tropical scene going on there. But I, I may not know, or the puzzler may not know, the customer may not know anything about it, anything Mm -hmm. about the image, maybe they just like the way it looks. They like the colors in it. But 
I will do just enough research at the very minimum to find out where it's at so I know what type of animals might be might be in that scene. Mm-hmm. If it's uh, an Amazon rainforest, maybe there's some jaguars, some capybaras, <laughs> other animals that you may see, or I may look into who the artist was and then do maybe a little portrait as a whimsy piece of that artist Mm -hmm. or a little detail about their life. I've done that a few times or a little detail about the historical period that they're in. And that's another dimension that is super fun for me Yeah, to just kind of look into the history behind whatever this image is, whatever Mm -hmm. the theme is. And so I'll just kind of expand upon it. And I'll do that in a way that I would like to say adds either a seriousness to it or something funny Mm -hmm. to whatever the characters or the animals are, put them in kind of formations that may be kind of weird (laughs) messing with the puzzler so that the animals are upside down or, you know, turned in ways or, you know, depending on how devious I'm feeling, (laughs) I think is really what it comes down to. It is really kind of refreshing to hear you talk about this medium as something that is kind of so considered and so artistic, I guess, to put it very simply, because it, it sounds a lot like your process is about figuring out kind of your own mode of storytelling within this as opposed to I feel like a lot of mass-produced puzzles just like hitting the marks of like 500 pieces or a thousand pieces which Liberty Puzzles doesn't do like it there's no kind of set number that there has to be but I'm curious regardless if there is any consideration of like the number of pieces or I guess sort of difficulty of a puzzle when you're putting it together. Cause even so like on the website, when you're looking through um, the different puzzles that are on offer, it's still, you can still sort them from like small to large to extra large. Right. So at some point we decided to standardize our aesthetic in a way where Mm -hmm. generally we want the pieces to be a certain size and Mm -hmm. to sort of engineer them in a way that would just be consistent, I guess. Mm -hmm. But kind of knowing the difficulty level with them would be with little tricks that we would include. The image itself kind of going back to image selection. There are Mm -hmm. certain images where because there's a large area full of a solid color, for instance, Mm -hmm. and if the person knows what that image is beforehand, Mm -hmm. they will know all the sky pieces go in the sky. (laughs) Yeah. But if there's a lot of pattern everywhere and broken color that adds to a difficulty. Similarities of cut styles will also add to the difficulty. But I think 
pretty early on, we decided we wanted to have just kind of a consistent aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say like some of them will range on a slightly smaller piece size. And then we have made some puzzles that are a larger piece puzzle mm-hmm. and a kid size piece puzzle. But for the most part, we kind of stick with this kind of standard adult size or mm-hmm. yeah. And this is another sort of technical question as well, but one of the things, again, that sets Liberty Puzzles apart is its use of uh, the quarter-inch plywood for its pieces. It It's just such a nice kind of tangible thing. It's such a nice texture, and especially putting it together, it's so nice. But I'm curious how much of a bearing that has on what shapes you can or can't do, or if it affects the design process at all. Yeah, it definitely does. It's mm-hmm. always something I have to keep in mind. I really like the challenge of it in a way. There's times when I become frustrated. It's kind of <laughs> not only am I making puzzles for a puzzler, for a customer who's right. who has these set out in front of them trying to figure it out, but it's also a puzzle for me as well, trying to figure out how to make it so that it works. Mm-hmm. And over the years, I've been all over the place trying different things. And again, the fun of it is having those parameters that I have to design within and trying to figure out ways to break the rules in a way. Mm-hmm. Lately, I've, I kind of go back and forth between skinny pieces versus not so skinny or not so thin Mm-hmm. as so they don't break. Mm-hmm. And it's a rule that I keep pushing that boundary, kind of testing the limit. And if I do that consistently throughout a puzzle, stylistically and aesthetically, it's going to hold together, which to me, I, I like to see that but it's also it serves as a function in making it difficult for someone putting it together. Mm-hmm. If there's a repetition in pattern of edges or I guess what I'm thinking of specifically mm-hmm. is a puzzle that I made. It's not the only example of this, mm-hmm. but I made a dinosaur puzzle called chasing butterflies mm-hmm. and it it's all based on this idea about the end of the cretaceous period and the asteroid impact that wiped out the dinosaurs right well yeah. so in that i have a bunch of dinosaur pieces there's a bunch of bones and there's a bunch of yeah. there's like teeth and then there's you know the spiky ridges of the back of a dinosaur, for instance, Mm -hmm. and kind of knowing how far I can push the boundaries with those edges without those pieces breaking is really, it's a fine line to kind of dance on. Yeah. We'll be back with more of Karen's conversation with Lyndon Aksumit after this. 
What's the best way to learn a language? Immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day in everyday situations. But if that's not on the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. I've used apps in the past to learn new languages, but when I came across Babbel, I wondered if it could help me refresh my knowledge of a language I once spoke well, but was now a little bit or quite a lot rusty. I have to say, I was impressed. The advanced lessons were really useful, tips and idioms that can help with in-depth conversations on topics that I can actually imagine chatting about. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and the tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. What's more, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for working listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for working listeners, at babbel.com working. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com working, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com working. Rules and restrictions may apply. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Listeners, I hope that you've been enjoying Working Overtime, the bi-weekly bonus version focused on listener questions that we launched back at the beginning of this year. We love to give advice. Who doesn't? And we want to answer your questions, respond to your concerns, and generally share ideas on that show. Is there a creative problem you're having or a creative practice that's working well for you right now? Well, drop us a line at working at slate.com or call us, we extra love voicemails, at 304-933-WORK. You can also record a voice memo on your phone and send that to us in an email. And if you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Working wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to Karen's conversation with Lennon Aksumit. I'm delighted that you brought up Chasing Butterflies because it's one of the handful of literary puzzles that I have and one that I love a lot, um, in particular because of the designs that you put in there, but also because you're able to take some of those pieces and turn them into little 3D models of dinosaurs. I'm curious where that idea came from because it's so brilliant and so fun. Thanks. Yeah, that idea, I started 
playing around with the idea of creating 3D pieces several years ago, and then I would include them just kind of scattered throughout puzzles as an extra additional challenge, extra credit for (laughs) the customer to put together if they want, but not necessarily thinking like, oh, I'm going to advertise this to all the customers, you you know, like Mm -hmm. I kind of specifically kept it hidden Mm -hmm. and then just kept expanding on the idea because it was just so fun for me to create Mm -hmm. and wrapping my head around just making a 3D, basically a little 3D sculpture that happened to also be in the form of a puzzle that you would just put together 3d. And I mean, really like Mm -hmm. I kind of saw some of the other, uh, there's examples out there of 3d models that are made out of balsa wood and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. There's a lot of that stuff that just would never work in a puzzle, but it's really kind of fun to consider what if, Mm-hmm. Or think about another way to do it so that it works in both ways. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, maybe it's a kind of weird looking piece, but maybe this weird looking piece and this weird looking piece go together in a way that makes sense with what's going on in the image, too. Mm-hmm. And just kind of thinking that is sort of a conversation that I'm having with the design of whatever I'm making and the person putting it together. And you sort of talked about this a little bit, um, but I'm curious, you you mentioned that you've been with Liberty Puzzles basically since the beginning, but I'm curious if between that point to now, how much you can tell that your process has developed or grown or changed and what I guess you feel you've kind of learned or maybe gotten better at in that time? I think it's changed quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I've always kind of thought of the whimsy, kind of going back to this idea of what these special pieces are. Yeah, I've kind of gone back to that idea from time to time. But at one point, I really sort of looked at it as a cartoon in a way. Like this kind of lighthearted, funny, kind of goofy, I guess whimsical is the best term for it. Mm -hmm. And so I had this very cartoony style with exaggerated facial expressions of any of the characters that I did, very rounded edges, sort of noodle-like arms, Mm -hmm. like very inspired by old cartoons, old animation. And it was kind of reflective of the time for me, the art that I was looking at, that I was, Mm -hmm. that I was surrounding myself with. And over time kind of getting feedback on that. And then at Mm -hmm. a certain point kind of wanting to do more and wanting to shed my skin a little bit of what I was doing there. Mm -hmm. And also kind of with the attitude of it, I got more and more serious, I think, professionally about what I was doing Mm -hmm. and where I thought this could go 
and the type of things I wanted to say just with the pieces in general, how they would link to, again, to the subject matter of whatever the images would be. And I guess I've kind of done it in a way where I don't really go back to the old style anymore Mm -hmm. for any of the pieces. Instead, I would just make new ones. I would draw new stuff. And sometimes in doing that, I'll revisit concepts that I've done before or characters or expressions. Mm -hmm. And then I'll kind of occasionally redraw them and try to communicate it in different ways. Mm -hmm. So how long have you been with Liberty Puzzles now? I started in 2006 and they had been around for about a year and a half before Mm -hmm. that. So it was really early on. There was basically just the two owners. Mm -hmm. And we all kind of did everything in those early days. Mm -hmm. So we were all wearing multiple hats, doing a bunch of things. And little by little, I think starting like within a few months, I started designing more on a full-time basis, Mm -hmm. I would say. On a more, I guess, macro level, when did you first become interested in designing puzzles? How did you start off in that field? I didn't know it was a field, honestly. (laughs) I went to art school and specialized in illustration. Mm -hmm. And I just always have loved drawing and painting and art in general, just the art field. And I found this company and what they were doing, I had never heard of before, Mm -hmm. but it sounded amazing. So it just all clicked. It all made sense. All the pieces came together. (laughs) (laughs) And because uh, puzzle designing is a field that obviously I'm not familiar with, is there an equivalent to, I guess, writer's block is the most common term for it, or a creative stall? Does it happen to you? And then what are you trying to do to work through it or around it? Yes, that's a great question. I am a big proponent of just showing up some days. Mm -hmm. And just sitting down and starting doing anything, just putting my pencil to paper, whatever the project is, whatever the puzzle is that I'm working on, I'll try to just start writing stuff down and I'll start making lists of whatever comes into my head that relates to it. And most of the time, I'm not creating every piece brand new for every puzzle I'll probably Mm -hmm. create like four to five on average new ones to go in. And then I will use stuff that I've already used for Mm -hmm. other puzzles to kind of speed through the process. So unless I have a larger chunk of time and if it's a 
image that I really care about that I just really find fascinating mm-hmm. and really want to do a deep dive, I'll take a little bit more time and I'll create a bunch, if not all, brand new pieces. Wow. Sometimes what's really frustrating is it'll look great on paper and then I translate it to digital form mm-hmm. where I will I'll do basically the digital drawing of it and it just won't look right. It Mm. won't, I know it's not going to function correctly Mm -hmm. in which case I say to myself, is it worth trying to fix this to make it work Mm -hmm. or should I just scrap it and start over again? And if I do that, do I have enough time to do that? But it's the added challenge, I guess, of being a creative person to, to kind of believe in what ideas you set forth for yourself in accomplishing. Mm -hmm. And then also seeing it as you're creating it, being able to work and manipulate that idea in a way that makes sense in a way that where it's all going to work. And then I guess pushing and pulling on it, until that can happen or learning from that and just moving on to the next one or starting over from scratch again. And it's kind of cool, you know, thinking about it that way. There's a certain amount of luck sometimes (laughs) where if you just show up and you just start putting in the work, sometimes the magic will happen. Sometimes it could all just be in my head and it just feels good and it just makes sense. And I'm, I'm really flowing with what is there. And if it's not just really still being open to exploring where I can go, where I can take it. Uh, Usually that probably involves stepping away from it for a while and then coming back. Yeah. Um, and as a final question, for any listeners who might not have heard of Liberty Puzzles before, but now are raring to go get one for themselves, do you have a favorite puzzle of yours that you've worked on that you would recommend? There are a bunch that I really had a lot of fun with. Mm-hmm. And the Oregon Trail was a lot of fun, and that was mm-hmm. a recent one. And if you're at all interested in a thousand on one Arabian nights. That was also a project that I Mm -hmm. thought was really interesting. And I'd say go onto the website on Mm -hmm. Liberty puzzles and look at the newest spring 2022 selection. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And I would say just kind of in general as, as puzzles go, I always like my, my most recent work, (laughs) Uh, to refer people to my most recent work. And if I'm looking back, I'm always the most happy with my recent work or I try to be. And so I would start there. Um, Mm -hmm. Chasing butterflies. Also, you brought that up earlier is also one that I had a lot of fun with. Mm hmm. Thank you so, so much again for taking the time to talk with us. It's been a real delight. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
Karen, that was fascinating. I was completely ignorant of this kind of, I guess, meta puzzle before. Mm -hmm. You obviously know and enjoy them. I have two questions about that. Have you always been a jigsaw puzzle person? And how did you discover Liberty Puzzles? So in answer to your first question, I would say that I haven't always made time to do jigsaw puzzles, but I have always enjoyed putting them together. So in that sense, I would say that I've always been a jigsaw puzzle person. (laughs) As for Liberty Puzzles, I remember the very first Liberty Puzzle that I bought was meant to be a birthday present for my boyfriend. Um, I think we were like maybe at least half a year, a little more than that, into the pandemic and mm. the pandemic activity that we'd been doing was jigsaw puzzles. And I, I think I sort of Googled like, ooh, like what's like the nicest jigsaw puzzle that I could <laughs> buy for somebody? And this obviously popped up because they're so, so unique and like really, really just wonderful. So I got one of those. We put it together together after we received it and we loved it so much that we've bought a new puzzle or two if we're feeling really extravagant from (laughs) Liberty Puzzles every year after that. I love the idea of googling next level jigsaw puzzles, (laughs) like actually getting a, a result that makes you happy. Yeah. So this may seem like a really banal question, but I'm super curious Mm -hmm. because this has gotten in the way of my exploring puzzles literally, where do you do them? Do you have like a dedicated puzzle table? As we've established in previous episodes, both of us were only children. Mm -hmm. And I I kind of associate jigsaw puzzles with only children for whatever reason. (laughs) And I know that as a kid, I certainly had a lot of alone time, but I was never a jigsaw person because our house, just to be frank, was always a bit messy. And there were no available surfaces where I could have try to put it together. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I then replicated that in my own home. And (laughs) (laughs) that's a real hurdle on taking on what sounds like an amazingly fun and challenging activity, but one that you kind of, it's not going to be done in an hour. So what do you do? And do you have any suggestions for people who do not have a lot of space? I have to agree that it is very hard to find a dedicated space to do puzzles because it's not only having the space to put the puzzle together, but then the space to put all the pieces that you haven't put together. Yes. yes. Um, That said, in our current place, my partner and I do puzzles on our dining table because we eat at our coffee table. So it's less that we dedicated (laughs) a space to doing puzzles and more that that was kind of the biggest flat surface that we have that sees the least traffic. And if you're really trying to, I guess, find a space to do puzzles... Figure out where you would want to do the puzzle apart from what space is cleanest right now. Just think about which surface would be best for doing a puzzle on and then figure out if you can clean that off at least temporarily. That is a fantastic piece of advice. I was recently uh, listening to something you gave just a random piece of advice that was, you know, imagine how you would solve a problem if you could not fail. Like if there was no problem, Mm. like, you know, and like, okay, space is no problem. Where would I like to do this? That's a great way of approaching it. Uh, I also have to share something that just today I was watching a YouTube video in which a very hip self-help dude was (laughs) extolling the benefits of jigsaw puzzles. Like he said, if you're doing something with your hands while you say, listen to an audio book, the content of that book stays with you better. Hmm. Uh, that's, That's what he claimed anyway. But he began the segment by showing a table with a puzzle in progress. And, and he, he admitted that when his friends come over, they almost always say, hey, is your grandma visiting? You know, maybe in a tone and maybe not, but just what I'm trying to say is that puzzles are kind of associated with the unhip, 
with kind of old-fashioned ways of spending time. And obviously, that's nonsense for mm-hmm. the kind of puzzles that Liberty makes, or just maybe generally. And I'm just kind of thinking about other conversations that you and I have had about, say, cartoons or anime, mm-hmm. and I'll be all like, oh, they're for kids, aren't they? And I guess basically what I'm saying is we really get hung up on like what it means that we associate art with a certain age group. And mm-hmm. in short, isn't that bananas? Yeah, I totally agree. It's totally bananas because it's ultimately reductive and also closes you off to so much media, whether it's cartoons or puzzles. Yeah. Um, that said, I have to say, I'm not sure I agree with that self-help guy because I love throwing on TV shows that I don't totally care about or know that won't really require me to puzzle things together when I'm doing puzzles, specifically because I know I'm not going to process everything that happens in the show while I'm doing the puzzle. Yeah, now I wish I was more of a puzzler so I could weigh in on on how they affect me. Uh, I absolutely loved the way that Lennon talked about difficulty. You know, if you're a puzzle maker or you're designing a crossword or writing trivia questions, there's this added element of trying to figure out the most desirable degree of difficulty. Mm -hmm. Can you say how hard you want a puzzle of the kind that Lennon makes to be? Is it about how many hours it'll take? Is it about wanting to figure out something new? How do you know when it is going to be just hard enough for what you're looking for? So I think I tend to think of difficulty with jigsaw puzzles in terms of piece number, which is a little mm. reductive because like colors in the piece will affect the difficulty a lot too. But I'd say I'd usually looking for at least 500 pieces. And liber- okay. for, with a Liberty puzzle, it'll usually take me about a week with anywhere between like 30 minutes to a couple hours devoted to it every day. Wow. And so it's less about how hard it is for me than having like a nice activity to do that you can share with someone else. And also like the serotonin boost is like so immediate (laughs) when you get a piece, right? There's only been one jigsaw puzzle that I've ever walked away away from, which is not a Liberty puzzle, but it was like a thousand piece puzzle of a painting of Wrigley Field. (laughs) And there were so many patches that were like just one color or like minuscule crowd detail that I could just not finish it. (laughs) And so that I I did not finish. Um, That said, I'm curious. I know you said you're not a big puzzler, but do you like for puzzles to be difficult? And what is your approach to them? I would say, so no, I don't do jigsaw puzzles, but I think, for example, with crossword puzzles, I really like the way that, for example, in the New York Times, depending on what day it is, you know how hard it's going to be. Because I think it's that knowing that, actually is what I enjoy. Like, I like knowing that on Monday, yeah, I'm going to be able to do it in five minutes and I'm going to feel like a superhero and then I'll realize, oh yeah, probably a child could do it in five minutes too. Um, (laughs) When I'm in Britain, there's this terribly lowbrow magazine that I love to get. It's called Take a Break and it's got just awful, uh, as told to, terrible things happen to me stories. Uh, (laughs) But it also has a lot of puzzles and you can win money. And you would think that the puzzle that you can win a thousand pounds for is going to be harder than than the one that gives you 50 pounds. And it's not always the case. And it drives me crazy. Why do you make the hard ones be like just a 50 pound check when I could go all the way to like a holiday in Turkey for, (laughs) you know, just doing a dumb thing that literally took me 30 seconds. Yeah. (laughs) I also really enjoyed what he said about getting better at his craft and how his skills and how much he wanted to challenge himself evolved. Would you say that 
you also get better at solving these puzzles or do you start from scratch each time? So I don't know if I've gotten better at puzzles in recent years, but I feel like there's definitely a learning curve when at least you first start doing jigsaw puzzles, like knowing that it's easy to start with the corners or with the edges and grouping pieces together by color or object represented. So in that sense, I'm not starting from scratch, but at the same time, I, I don't know that I have any like elite strategies for puzzling either. Do you think that you are good at puzzles? Again, I don't do the jigsaws, but on crosswords, I'm very excited to go back to Britain because there, you know, there they have those, uh, I mean, I'm sure they have them here too, but they're the, um, the cryptic puzzles. Mm -hmm. And those are ones where you just have to be in the, in the swing of it. Cause there's really just a whole bunch of like, there's maybe five to 10, uh, you know, types of, things that you need to know to answer them. And you forget, right? At the moment, I'll probably only be aware of anagrams. But after about five days or maybe more like five weeks, I'll be more uh, used to that kind of cluing. So mm-hmm. I just think generally I'm I, I'm not necessarily, you know, totally gifted, but like most things, uh, you know, practice improves performance. I think maybe I could become a, a, a self-help YouTube person saying Ooh. things like that. Yeah, I'm going to go do that. All right. I was struck by what Lennon said about how the art that he was consuming, uh, the things that he surrounded himself with basically, affected what he was making in his day job. You know, clearly that's one of the few things that creative people can manipulate when they want to, you mm-hmm. know, get into a vibe or whatever. We often talk on this show about creating playlists that will put you in the mood that suits a particular project, for example. I'm curious if there are things you do when you want to establish a certain mood or to change the style of the work you've been producing. So I think I fall into the music pool as well. Like I think like building a playlist or finding specific musical artists or albums is a really big thing that you can do to help yourself kind of be stimulated in that way. And the important thing I think is that music is something you can listen to while you're still working. Whereas if you were watching a TV show or a movie for inspiration, that does require like a separate dedicated time for it. Um, Do you have any tips or hacks like this? No. And I'm still looking because I I want that thing. You know, I want that. I, I don't work well with music or like music that I know. I've actually had some benefits of listening to just kind of brain fm which is like mm-hmm. music i guess that's that they manipulate to help you concentrate or whatever um but i you know i'm I don't, i'm wondering if i should like put some photos around where i work or things like that hmm. but i haven't really found that so listeners if you have any tips for things that we can do or specifically that i can do send us <laughs> an email at working at slate.com Well, that's all the time we have for this week, unless, of course, you're a Slate Plus subscriber, in which case you will soon hear a little something extra from this week's interview. Not only that, I just want to remind you that if you join Slate Plus, you'll get extra segments of some Slate shows, entire bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood, and you will never hit a paywall on the Slate site. You can learn more by visiting slate.com slash working plus. Thank you to our guest, Lennon Aximet, and thanks to our wonderful and not at all puzzling, except in a good way, producer Cameron Drews. We'll be back next week for my interview with Dia Sandurga's principal perfumer and brand designer, David Seth and Kavi Moltz. Until then, get back to work. 
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.